This is Because I Said So, parenting advice with love and leadership from the nation's leading parenting expert, John Roseman, syndicated columnist, author, conference speaker, and the only psychologist to point out that psychology has caused more problems than it has solved. From American Family Radio, here's your host, John Roseman. Hello once again and welcome to the show. I'm your host, John Roseman. The program is called Because I Said So. We are carried exclusively on American Family Radio and broadcast every week on Saturday at 5 o'clock Central, 6 o'clock Eastern. And for those of you who want to uh, find out more about me, you can go to my website, John, J-O-H-N, Rosemond, R-O-S-E-M-O-N-D.com where you will find a list of my books. I have a bookstore there, and you will find a list of upcoming speaking engagements. For example, this weekend I'm speaking at Old Bridge Calvary Church in Old Bridge, New Jersey, on Saturday evening, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, Monday morning, and Monday evening. And then the following weekend, next weekend, I'll be at Crossroads Church in Aspen, Colorado, where I'll be speaking on Sunday afternoon and Monday evening. If you want more information about either of those events, because you'd like to attend and you're very, very welcome, and I'd love to see you there, uh, just call the respective churches, Calvary Church, Old Bridge, New Jersey, for the weekend that we are currently in, and Crossroads Church in Aspen, Colorado next weekend. My thanks at the folks at both of those churches for inviting me to bring my message and ministry to their congregations. Well, I promised my listeners last week that I would unveil a bombshell this week, and I am, in fact, uh, going to do that. We are three days away from one of the most momentous elections in this country's history. Some people are calling it the most momentous election. Eh, I think that's arguable, but it certainly is going to be extremely defining regarding America's future. The bombshell in question is, and as I said last week, no one, to my knowledge, has been talking about this, concerns Hillary Clinton's involvement in the drafting and advocacy for, <laughs> almost didn't get that out, advocacy for the a document that is known as the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child. Now, in United Nations terminology, a convention is not a meeting of people. It is an international treaty. So what we're talking about here when we talk about the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child, we are talking about an international treaty on the rights of the child, children's rights. Many people do not know, especially younger people, that Hillary Clinton back in the 70s and 80s, prior to her husband's election as president of the United States, was deeply, deeply involved in the international children's rights movement and was, in fact, as I just a moment ago said, active in drafting the convention 
and was a very active advocate for the convention. In 1995, she persuaded her husband or urged her husband, I'm not sure that he was reluctant at all, to sign the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child. He did so by proxy, which was very unusual, and uh, did not notify the media in advance of the, uh, the signing, which was also very unusual given that this is an international treaty. And I believe that when it was signed by Madeleine Albright, his Secretary of State, as his proxy, that he was, in fact, out of the country. I think it is safe to say, and I think that reasonable people will agree to me with me once they uh, hear some of the contents of this treaty, that the reason there was such secrecy, and, and of course secrecy is a word that defines Hillary Clinton, is because the Clintons did not want the American people to fully understand the significance of the convention when it comes to parental rights, families, the integrity of the family, and parental discretion when it comes to the raising of children, all three of which the convention seriously compromises. Now, once the convention was signed, constitutional law requires that in order to activate a treaty between the United States and any other foreign entity, the president must sign first and then send it to the Senate, where it must be ratified, is the term, by a two-thirds majority. So Clinton sent it to the head of the Foreign Relations Committee at the time, who was the infamous Jesse Helms from North Carolina, and Helms, realizing the significance of what Clinton had done and the fact that this treaty compromised the sovereignty of the United States, refused to bring it before committee and schedule it for a vote. And it sat on Helms's desk for the remainder of Clinton's term as president. When Clinton left office, it continued to sit in senatorial limbo until 2008 when Barack Obama was elected and the Democrat majority in the Senate was, uh, was then 60. And Barbara Boxer, senator from California, tried to uh, reactivate ratification and she ultimately failed when she realized she was not going to get the six or seven Republican votes that she needed in order to pass ratification. Make absolutely no mistake about it. Hillary Clinton will do, if she is elected president of the United States, everything she is capable of doing to, to advance the possibility of Senate ratification of this nefarious document. Why do I call it nefarious? Several reasons. First of all, because, as I said before, the treaty compromises the sovereignty of the United States. Uh, it specifically says that signatory nations must 
conform their laws, change their laws, such that they conform to the articles of the treaty. So, in other words, for the first time in American history, if this treaty ever gets ratified, international law would trump the Constitution of the United States. Secondly, the treaty definitely accomplishes what Karl Marx, or begins to accomplish, goes a long way toward accomplishing what Karl Marx said was absolutely necessary in order to establish a communist state, and that is to see to it that the fundamental primary loyalty of children was transferred from parent and family to the state. The United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child redefines the state as the primary protector of the child, the primary advocate for the child, the primary defender of the child, and in fact inserts the state as uh, an arbiter, a mediator uh, between parent and child, and defines the state as the final authority in any conflict between parent and child. That is, in fact, and this is a non-emotional statement, folks, this is a rational, logical statement, that is, in fact, what Karl Marx said was absolutely necessary, and he said it more than one 150 years ago. And make no mistake about it, the left has been attempting to advance his agenda in America ever since the early 1920s. And they are a very patient, tenacious group of people. Believe me, I used to be a campus advocate, a far-left person who was instrumental in the socialist takeover of the student newspaper on my college campus at Western Illinois University. I understand the left. I understand liberalism. I understand how these people think. I understand what they want. And I understand how much they are determined to get what they want. And what they want is the complete destruction of constitutional government in the United States. Make no mistake about it. To a conservative, the Constitution is uh, something to be revered. To a liberal, the Constitution is nothing but a pain in the parentheses, expletive deleted, end of parentheses. If the Senate would ever ratify the United Nations Treaty, it would be a major step toward the liberal socialist goal of one world government. And you can take that to the bank. Now, after the break, I'm going to start getting into the actual contents of the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child. But before we take the break, I want you to understand that for the purposes of the convention, a child means any human being below the age of 18. Any human being below the age of 18. And by the way, I am quoting from paragraph one or article one of the convention. 
I will take a break and be back with you folks in a few minutes. Stay with me for even more revealing information concerning the wolf in sheep's clothing that is the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child. Be right back. back to the show. I'm dealing today with the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child, one of the most nefarious documents to ever be presented for ratification to the United States Senate. In the first uh, half of the show, I talked about the fact that Hillary Clinton, presidential candidate, was active in drafting the wording of this nefarious document. And how nefarious is it? I'll get into that in just a second, and you can judge for yourself. She was a major advocate of the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child. And as I said before, the word convention in United Nations terminology does not mean a meeting of people. It means an international treaty. If Hillary Clinton is elected president, She will do everything she can to see to it that this document will be ratified by the United States Senate, will become United States law, and will significantly chip away at everyone's constitutional rights. So the convention itself, it starts out fairly benignly. It defines a child as any human being below the age of 18. Now, that (laughs) <laughs> that in and of itself is is rather, as you will see, disingenuous. It does not make any distinction between a three-year-old child and an 18-year-old child. And by the way, advocates for the treaty will say, oh, well, you know, uh, of course these distinctions will be made when the need presents itself. Uh, no, they won't be made. Uh, The purpose of this document is to shove parents aside and, as I said in the first half of the show, insert the state as the primary advocate for the primary defender of the child. And to accomplish what Karl Marx said was necessary in order to establish a communist state, and that is transfer the loyalty of the child from parent and family to the state. That is the purpose of this document. So, like I said, it, uh, the document starts out fairly benignly. Uh, states' parties will ensure that every child is accorded protection and care as is necessary for his or her well-being, that the child is not punished for his parents' beliefs, that the best interests of the child shall be a primary consideration in all matters, And it even says that states' parties shall respect the responsibilities, rights, and duties of parents. Well, it doesn't. And the fact that it doesn't caused Michael Ferris of the Homeschool Legal Defense Fund to form ParentalRights.org a number of years ago, an organization that advocates for the passage of an amendment to the Constitution that would protect parental rights and would supersede any international treaty entered into by the United States, such as the treaty in question. 
Okay, so the further we get into the document, the more questionable this whole thing becomes. For example, it says in Article 9 that states parties shall ensure that a child should not be separated from his or her parents against their will, except when competent authorities, and those would that would be social workers, government social workers, psychologists, subject to judicial review, determine in accordance with applicable law and procedures that such separation is necessary for the best interests of the child. So, in other words, the government will be the final decision maker when it comes to defining what is and is not in the best interest of a child. So that's Article 9, and it's downhill from there. And now we get into, with Article 12, the undermining of parental authority and parental discretion when it comes to child-rearing matters. Article 12 says states' parties, and, and states' parties simply means those states that have signed on to and ratified the treaty, shall assure to the child who is capable of forming his or her own views the right to express those views freely in all matters affecting the child. Article 12 goes on to say that the child shall be provided the opportunity to be heard in any judicial and administrative proceeding affecting him or her. Meaning, folks, and, and this is the, uh, the subterfuge, if you will, of the language of this nefarious document, that a child will be able to sue his or her, her own parents, in a court of law for suppressing his or her right to free speech within the family. Article 13 amplifies Article 12 by saying the child shall have the right to freedom of expression. This right shall include the freedom to seek, receive, and impart information and ideas of all kinds, regardless of frontiers, either orally in writing or in print, in the form of art or through any other media of the child's choice. In other words, parents will no longer be able to restrict their children's access to certain Internet websites, for example. I told you, it's downhill, folks. Keep in mind that there is an active movement on the part of a number of people on the left in this country to lower the age of sexual consent for children to 12 or even 10. Article 14 says states' parties shall respect the right of the child to freedom of thought, conscience, and religion. And then we go to Article 15, which says, brace yourselves, states' parties recognize the rights of the child to freedom of association, freedom of association. I am sure that my listeners being intelligent, informed people understand exactly what that means. It means that parents will not be allowed legally to tell their children, you can't hang around with certain kids or you cannot go over onto the next block and visit in the home of a 40-year-old male who has never been married 
and who rather oddly encourages young teenage males to come over to his house. If your child says, uh, I want to go to that person's house, and the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child has been ratified by the United States Senate, by that point in time, you, the child's parents, will have no ability legally to tell your child, no, you cannot go over to or step inside that individual's house. And if a parent would attempt to do that, the child would be able to go to a government representative, and I'm sure that his or her public school will be more than willing to assist him in this regard, file a complaint against his parents, and be represented in a court of law in litigation against his or her parents. And we're talking potentially about a 12-year-old child. Again, Karl Marx said that in order for communism to succeed in a culture, the loyalty of the child was going to have to be transferred from family and parents to the state. This is exactly what this document, which I hold in my hands, and folks, to get a copy of the document, by the way, it's exactly what this document uh, accomplishes. To get a copy of the document, all you have to do is go to the Internet, type in your search engine, United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child, and PDFs of the full document will come right up on page one. Article 15 says, again, states' parties recognize the rights of the child to freedom of association. That's paragraph one of Article 15. Paragraph two says, no restrictions may be placed on the exercise of these rights other than those imposed in conformity with the law. And believe me, the law will favor the child's complaint against his or her parents in this regard. Article 16, no child shall be subject to arbitrary or unlawful interference. Brace yourself again with his or her privacy or correspondence. In other words, parents will no longer be allowed to monitor their children's cell phones, their computers, because that would be an invasion of the child's Supposed right to privacy. You know, one of the things I did with my kids very early on was to let them know that their rooms were not their rooms. I was letting them use one of our rooms in our house and that they had no right to privacy in said space because I was paying for not only the space, but I was paying for the utilities that heated the space and cooled the space in the summer. My children understood that throughout their entire growing years, and this document would completely destroy a parental, a parent's rights, right to do exactly what I did, my wife and I uh, did with our children during our active parenting years. Do you understand the significance of that? Of course you do, because being a listener of mine, you are an intelligent, informed individual. Article 17, 
says basically that the child shall have access to information and material from a diversity of sources, especially those aimed at the promotion of his or her spiritual and moral well-being and mental health. And of course, the left would define spiritual and moral well-being in a way that is completely inconsistent with the manner in which my average listener would define those concepts. Folks, go to the Internet, United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child. I'm out of time. Read this document for yourself and then ask yourself, do you want to have occupying the nation's highest office a person who is active in drafting this document? I'm John Roseman. The show is called Because I Said So. You can listen to me every Saturday afternoon exclusively on American Family Radio nationwide, 5 o'clock Central Time. Hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed doing it. Bye.